0: What are you waiting for? Give me a second. Do you know what you're doing? Yeah, I know what I'm doing.
1: You boys having a
0: problem? No. No problem. Why? Well, come on. We need to get moving. Hey, who put you in charge? All right. Get out of the tank, hotshot.
1: This needs a woman's touch.
0: Fine. Be my guest.
1: We need to get to that power generator before they realize this tank's gone missing. We're running out of time.
0: I was gonna do that. Uh
1: Uh-huh, sure.
0: Couldn't have done it better myself. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists! So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones!
1: In this episode, Ahsoka watches over the Onderon Rebels as they infiltrate and strike Separatist targets throughout the capital city. King Rash is under pressure from Count Dooku to quash the efforts of the growing rebellion while the Rebels
0: choose a new leader. Hey, tubes it's your old buddy Boot Show, and I'm a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the stealer to my saw, and she tries to be Robbie. Greetings. And we're going to talk about the 90th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's written by Chris Collins, and it's directed by Stuart Lee. It's Season 5, Episode 3, Frontrunners. So Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about front runners before you rewatched it again this week?
1: Well, this one is sort of like, it kind of melds into the whole arc, you know what I mean? It's another one of those examples where I don't remember exactly what goes down in this episode. Um, but I just knew it was the continuation of this arc, and I knew that we were going to see a little more of uh, you know this whole dynamic that's kind of forming with these rebels and and how Ahsoka's trying to toe the line and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, this, we haven't really approached an episode, at least I haven't approached an episode like this before, but this really broke down along two lines for me. The action, I found, was very solid, and there's some fun stuff in the action. But the characters carrying on from last time, the characters are not grabbing me yet. Mm. Like the opening with the hit-and-run attacks from Luxor and Steela, that's a solid piece of work. And there's some, there's just something really naturally thrilling about sneak attacks, right? And they're pulled off really well in this episode. And at the start, they're doing these hit-and-run attacks. And then we have that nice helicopter-style shot just after Steela says, I've given King Rash something to think about. And the camera sweeps up and across the whole city and away from Steela and Anakin's position, and up to King Rash himself on a balcony in this massive palace. But from there on out, while the action remained solid throughout the episode, I found the episode pretty frustrating and pretty unengaging from a character standpoint. And it starts with King Rash because he's a very uncharismatic villain for a Clone Wars guy and this this is a show for me which has done such an amazing job of coming up with a brilliant very fun rogues gallery both in terms of the way they play with the characters from the films and also the new characters the show introduces itself I've always given the show a lot of props for coming up with really fun villains so that's why I don't even want to go too hard at it for this because an underwhelming sort of misfire of a character in King Rash is uh, an anomaly for the show you know But unfortunately he's only a minor part of the disconnect because I don't find any of the other characters that engaging either. And I'm getting a little bit of deja vu back to Prince Lee Cha and a little bit of deja vu back to the academy story, you know, with the kids. Because Saw is just kind of an uncharismatic brat. He's like a guy who wants to be a leader And I wonder if part of this is me loving Forrest Whitaker's version of him and trying to make that connection. I don't know, because this guy is nowhere near as charismatic or interesting or engaging as Saul was. He's just sort of, he's short on the sort of magnetism required to be a leader. And that's part of the point, but he's also kind of unsympathetic. You know, he's got this brattiness to him. And I know nothing of his background, so I don't know where it comes from. Like, what is he fighting against in his own head? Is there something in his past that he's trying to prove himself? I don't know. They don't give us that. All I know is that he's a guy whose ego is writing checks that his level of charisma and his ability can't catch. Although his ability is getting better, at least from that first episode. But he's still not any kind of... Like, he's not Steeler. You know, Steeler has this great skill with the rifle. Saw doesn't even have that. So, like I said, I wonder if the infinitely more charismatic version I've seen of him in Rogue One is part of the problem. Because even if we allow for the fact that this is showing a much younger version of Saw... This portrayal in the Clone Wars just pales in comparison to the other. But then again, James Arnold Taylor's Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars and Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan in the prequels is a younger version of the charismatic Alleghenis. But the younger versions are very magnetic as well. So it's not just as simple as factoring in the younger age and the earlier development. And it's frustrating because I really want to be interested in this, in this dude. He's just not very interesting. And then with Steela, it's a lot of fun to watch a shoot there's that thing that we talked about in the box where it's just fun to watch Obi-Wan bullseye those targets in the sniper level, but there's not a lot to her aside from that she's a good hearted person which is nice, and she has a talent as a crack shot, and she has this brat for her brother but we don't really see her reckoning with her brat of her brother, at the end she runs off to kind of mollify him, but we never see that scene, so at the moment, there's no real depth to her as a character as well. and shes I mean, she's clearly more suited to leadership than Saw's, so but it's not like she's dripping with charisma either. And then there's Lux. And I mean, this is a lot of me talking and a lot of me being negative about the episode, and I want to make it clear. Obviously, I'm going to let you talk at one point, <laughs> and I did, there are other things that I liked about this episode. Like I said, I like the action. There are good things, but I just was trying to work out why I'm going through not quite as a lackluster sort of feeling as I was going through with the Prince chart thing I still like this, these more than that and I'm still overall positive on this episode but something about the characters is just not grabbing me because Lux who has the most depth of the three although that's maybe only really because we have some history with him you know and the history with him is more intriguing than the present with him you know because when we first met him he's this misguided kid learning a little about what a real Jedi is like from Ahsoka and, and some way we expect him to be maybe a brat at that point like a spoiled brat but I think I think I even commented at the time he just seemed like a good kid who was a bit misguided and there's something interesting about the first episode we meet him and of course later we meet him again in a friend in need and he's this misguided kid but he's driven by this damaged heart you can still feel the heartbreak over the murder of his mother so he has this fire in him and he makes some silly decisions but there's a drive to him that still makes him interesting to watch and maybe these Onderon episodes would be stronger for me if luck still had some of that fire in him because it feels like if you take away that fire now, he's just now he's just a good kid, similar to Steela, you know he's a good person, but he has pretty minimal sort of charisma. There's no real hook to him. He's basically Steeler but without even her badass ability to drill a full with a sniper rifle. So I don't know if you can comment on any of this, Robbie. Obviously we're not finished with this archie, we're not finished with these characters. And I know that you really enjoy this arc, and you watched it more times than a lot of the other arcs. So I assume you enjoy them more than I do. But just going by this episode, and I guess the previous episode, does any of what I've said make sense, or am I sort of heading, you know, foul balls here?
1: No, I think you're onto something, and I think my, in a way, my knowledge of this arc, because I'm, you know, you're experiencing this for the first time. I'm experiencing this with a lot of knowledge behind me, so I know a lot of what happens to Saw and Steela and Lux and Ahsoka. So I already have sort of this built-in knowledge that kind of informs the rest of it. It's just like when you know what happens to Luke in The Last Jedi, you know, when you watch it the, the second time, you know, you you know where he ends up. So it's almost like you pay a little more attention to some of the details that, you know, maybe you gloss over because you're still trying to package what Luke is now. And You know what I mean? Like if you're watching The Last Jedi the first time, sure. you might be taken so aback by the fact that he's cut himself off from the Force and he's, you know, all this stuff that you're, you're not paying attention to some of the stuff that's being said. You know, you might lose some of that stuff. For me... I totally get it. I totally get what you're saying. Because I feel like this is one of the episodes in the arc that's probably one of the weakest ones simply because they're focusing more on the act of rebellion and not why. And as you said with King Rash, he's a cookie-cutter bad guy. He could look like anything, he could be anything, he could say anything. It really is, he's, he's just a pawn in this game that Dooku is playing, which you find out later. Right. But it's one of those things that I totally get it. And this is one of those things where I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, especially an episodic show like this, you don't always get that time because you've got to get the story done. You know what I mean? So it's, it's almost like the characters are building up the characters is a lot of work, especially when a lot of the characters aren't known. So it's almost like, well, we got to keep up the same level of action that we have in our other episodes, but you don't care about these characters. At least not yet. Maybe you, you know, down the road, maybe you will, maybe you won't. It's like when you have a, an episode with Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, right? Y- you don't have to worry about what characterization is going on because you know those characters really well. With this, they're so busy telling the story that characterization takes a back seat. And that's the way that I look at... I mean, it's like I said, it's hard to divorce myself from that because I know these characters now. And I've, you know, I've known them for a while. And I have to point out, it's not like... I'm not saying that this whole arc is bad, but the reason I wanted to watch it, again, was because of Saw. And I wanted to remind myself of who Saw was, and where Saw came from. So it's a weird thing. I I don't want to, you know, misconstrue to you or the audience that, you know, somehow this is one of my favorite arcs. It's not a bad one, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. You know, it's more the fact that I just enjoyed seeing Saw's backstory. Sure. Or... Reminding myself of what Saw's backstory is. So with that, that's one of the things that I had a big question at the end of it when they almost treat the fact that Saw and Stela are brother and sister as a surprise. And and is this the first time that we've actually heard that? Because it again, I've known that, so it doesn't play uh, as a surprise to me. But I was like, wait a minute, is that the first time that we actually are told that by the by the show?
0: Yeah, I don't know I must have known it too Because it didn't come as a surprise to me either And I just had assumed from the first episode But then part of what I knew about Saw You know just from my sort of like osmosis From paying attention to the fandom For all these years is I knew that Saw had a sister And I guessed that this was her You know and they might give them the same skin tone And the same striking eyes And so I just figured you know right from the start So when it was a revelation to Lux and Ahsoka You know it wasn't a revelation to me But one of the scenes that I guess encapsulates the issue is that scene when they're trying to hotwire the tank... And Saw insists he's the guy to do the job, right? This is the hot-headed, egotistical character, and I feel like I know where he's going with this. He insists he knows what he's doing. He gives Steela the old, hey, put you, who put you in charge, when she tries to insist that she, he should get out of the way and let her take over. But then he gets out of the way and does what he's told anyway. So I guess he's not that egotistical after all, right? But then he tells her she's only doing exactly what he was going to do, right? Right. Which, okay, it's the egotistical guy again. But then he announces, I couldn't have done it any better. So there's this confused storytelling going on where he's proud of Steeler and a fan of Steeler, but he's also trying to play the on the boss thing and it makes him seem like a confused haphazard sort of character and those are characters that just don't interest me I guess and it's not that they're not realistic because there are people like this that you'll meet in real life you know especially young people who don't really know who they are yet and maybe there is something there for other people but for me it's just nowhere near as interesting as having a character who really knows what they want because the way that we're introduced to so in the first episode is he does know what he wants he wants to be the leader but here we see him giving no resistance really to having his leadership taken away by steeler and so that scene was maybe the scene that really maybe pushed me out of the episode i never really got back to it from that because so is just this kind of odd duck that doesn't grab me does that make sense how that scene play for you
1: Yeah, that's the one thing about Saw that, uh, you know, it's probably the biggest character trait that is shown in this episode is that he's a man of action and it almost feels like the more dangerous it is, the more important it is. And it sort of informs where he ends up, like in Rogue One. You know, he's known as an extremist, you know, as a zealot, and he's got ideas that are much more dangerous than what the Rebellion has ever been involved with. And you can definitely look at him as more of a... You know, his actions are more... Da- that go down to that that almost terrorist... I mean, I think people would agree that... Saw is one of those guys that... As long as he's hurting the Empire... Or hurting, well, whoever's in control... As long as he's doing the disruption... He doesn't care who gets hurt. He really is one of those that... It's all about the big action. And so the, the idea that... You know, when they're discussing what to do... And he basically wants to double down on the violence... You know, when everybody else is kind of like, "Yeah, but we we really need to win the hearts of the people," and right. you know, and they're they're being more subtle. But he's like, "No, we got to go, and we got to do this big." Yeah, you know, only by doing it big are we gonna. Now, that's the thing that, as you said before, it's kind of it's a little bit frustrating because we really don't know why he's like this. He's just like that. We don't really get any more backstory than what we're getting right here. And I think through the last two episodes of this arc, you do learn a little bit more about him and a little bit more as to why he is the way he is. But in this episode, it really, like you said, it just kind of comes off as a little bit frustrating. Now, again, it's hard for me to divorce myself from that because I know I know who he is. Sure. But it's interesting hearing it from your point of view, how it's playing for you because it's it really is kind of a like it almost seems like missed opportunities.
0: Yeah, I guess it is kind of a missed opportunity. I just feel like there's nothing to grab onto with him, you know, at least at this point mm. and obviously there's more to go and I know that he turns up in Rebels as well which is you know that's not a spoiler because Rebels happens before Rogue One so we know that he lives all the way through this timeline and lives through the Rebels timeline and you know I'm looking forward to seeing more of him you know in the future in the next couple episodes I guess and in future episodes but yeah right now there's nothing to him for me and you know Steeler nice person smart good with a sniper rifle but still not really I mean and part of the thing is I guess I'm comparing it to episodes where they've introduced new characters with super strong characterization real fast I mean the first time we meet Ventress right first time we meet Aura Singh uh, Satine I don't know why I'm just naming the female characters I mean Pre Vizsla you know <laughs> the, the the show has been really good at establishing interesting characters fast and so you know we talked about this with Princely Jar, I guess we talked about it with the kids in the Academy episode when that doesn't work out it sort of sticks out to me but I did promise that I was going to be more positive about the episode and there are things that I did like about this episode. I've already mentioned the action. I also liked how we get that brief moment near the end where Anakin tells Ahsoka that he gets what's up with her. Uh He sees that she has these feelings for Lux. And that he understands having those kind of feelings. And of course he reminds her not to let those feelings distract her from her mission. But it's a nice moment of reassurance from a master to a Padawan. Who's dealing with something that she's never faced before. We've seen Ahsoka go through so many challenges on her journey. But this, as we talked about in the last episode. This is a new thing that she's having to deal with. And that thing is one of the key challenges that comes with the Jedi way. Which is dealing with the drive for attachment. And that technically means you can't be married to a senator, right, Anakin? Or even a <laughs> former senator's son, which is what Lux is. So there's this really nice parallel that's going on there. And it's not the main story, but I really like that part of the episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I love it too. And it's Anakin actually is one of those things where we've talked about it before, how sometimes the different characters that we know and that are kind of our staples, you know, Anakin, Ahsoka obi-wan sometimes they swap roles sometimes and in this anakin is definitely the wise mentor at this point and it's fun to see you know and especially even some of the things that he says to the other rebels is very like wow that was actually well said i really no i agree with that right you know what i mean it's like it's fun to see that you know to, to see him be so you know inspiring you know to these people that are looking up to him and it's I don't know. I like that part of it.
0: Yeah, I did too, Robbie. And let's get to the action. I mean, no, spoiler. <laughs> I've already talked about that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's the best action we've seen in the series. It's not even that there's any particularly remarkable, awesome scenes, but it's all really solid. And apart from the sort of odd scene when the rebels are just wandering around the city in broad daylight in their fighting gear. when as they pointed out in the previous episode that when you're part of an urban insurgency the idea is to dress like the locals so you can blend in so that was a little bit of an odd moment but apart from that when they're running around in their combat gear I mean I really liked Saw sneaking up on that Roger droid and stealing its head I also like the car bomb attack <laughs> aside from the fact that Ahsoka totally blows her cover as a Jedi you know swinging her lightsabers all over the joint making it even more goofy that at the end of the episode King Rash still hasn't worked out why the rebels are more organized all of a sudden although yeah let's put that down to King Rash just being a dummy but with Saw and Lux going after the Droidicas, they get a little bit on the nose about the tactics from the last episode but it's still fun seeing Saw he saves Lux by pushing him into the alley and then he jumps down behind the droidicker for cover and then Steela slides in and puts the droid. Proper and, and you know, speaking of Saw jumping behind the Drautica for cover, as with the last episode, I love seeing all three of the rebels use cover and move tactics. You got to use that cover when you're in a firefight, Robbie. So, so you know, maybe I haven't loved everything about this episode. There were still positives to take out of this episode.
1: Yeah, the cool sliding stuff was really neat. I liked how Saw did his, I mean, he kind of almost slid in between a bunch of them and laid one down and took out a bunch of them. And then, yeah, I mean, I, you really have to think about, you know, how kind of spread out everybody is, and how, I guess, a, a lesser director might have muddied this up and made it super unclear, but it's really, really easy to follow the action in this. You could say, well, that's just the way it should be, but that takes talent, and that takes skill to be able to get across this kind of action so clearly, so I really do applaud them on that, too, and I like all the little details, you know, like, like I like how the Destroyers almost look like, you know, like a dead bug or something right when they're deactivated there's just something really kind of neat about it and uh i don't know i just like you said the action is a lot of fun to watch
0: well speaking of things that are fun to watch robbie what was your favorite shot of front runners
1: well for me it's it's actually pretty simple. I really, really enjoyed looking at King Rash's throne room. <laughs> when he comes in, you know, that like you said, that, that big sweeping shot and then it kinda of follows them into the throne room as, as uh, you know he's talking with his advisor there. I was just looking around going, Wow man, this place is nice. Like this is a nice place. I like the way everything's designed and everything has a I don't know, I just really, really liked it. So that was my favorite shot. I like the design of the throne room.
0: Your mind comes from one of the action shots. In fact, I've got two that are sort of maybe neck and neck. They're from the power generator station attacks scene. I really like that shot from behind Ahsoka's head Mm -hmm. with that hijacked tank in the midground. We see the rebels jump off the tack and run, and they're sort of silhouetted by the blaze in the background. And also, that pretty much cuts to Ahsoka with those three lens night vision goggles that's pretty fun i mean what was there was one of the episodes during the mortisark where we see you wearing the hondo goggles so for some reason i always find it fun to see a soko wearing some sort of goggles i don't know why that is maybe there's a steampunk spirit somewhere in me robbie but i did note that the last thing you want to be taking a gander at when you're wearing night vision goggles is a blazing fire so hopefully these are much more advanced night vision goggles than the ones we have on our planet and she wasn't getting you know her retinas burned out or you know just white noise from the fire but before we bring this one for a landing rubber we need to sum up and give our ratings so after your latest watch of front runners how did you like it and where does front runners sit on that four star Robbie scale
1: well this one is one of those where i sort of feel like it's necessary but i almost feel like you could probably skip this one i don't know it's a tough one I'm going to say that it's recommended. If this is your first watch, you still need to watch this episode, but I'm going to give it a two and three quarter stars. I don't feel like it's quite recommended, but it's one of those where if you're watching it the first time, I think you need to watch it.
0: Yeah, I've got it at five Steeler Sniper Shots out of 10, which, you know, is not a great rating, but to fill anyone in who hasn't sort of heard about how the rating systems work before. For me, five and above means that. It will be something I don't skip on a rewatch. And it means that there was definitely stuff of value in the episode. I mean, I felt like the character work was pretty underwhelming, but I liked that there was a bunch of Roger droids. The action scenes were pretty solid. And at the end, we didn't mention this yet, we meet this new menacing tactical droid who has what sounds like an actual name. It's called Kalani. Yeah. A droid with a name. So that's something very new. So not the greatest episode again, but also it did have... A bunch of stuff that i did enjoy in it but that's mission accomplished for season five episode three front runners so robbie if the troops out there want to let me know that i'm way underrating this episode what are our communications channels
1: well we are bucho and robbie at gmail twitter and instagram that's b-u-c-h-o-a-n-d-r-o-b-b-y
0: Yes, sir. And, of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 90th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars Chronology Season 5, Episode 4, The Soft War. And until then, this is your old buddy Bootshow alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing this show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Buccio and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Buccio and Robbie at gmail.com
1: May the force be with you.